Welcome to Athletes Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey. I'm Rob Finkelstein, founder and CEO of Alumni Direct. We set out to create a platform where athletes and other alumni can network and connect with their affinity groups. But this show, Athletes Entrepreneurs, the Alumni Journey, is all about, uh, we talk to various uh, collegiate athletes, former collegiate athletes, professional athletes, and talk about their transition out of sports. And it's so critical now. There's so many issues today with mental health and financial literacy. Uh, we want to truly teach and inspire athletes that there is life after sports. So we're real excited today to have Chad McGee on. How you doing, Chad? Great, Rob. Super stoked to be here. That's great. So Chad is, um, he was a college soccer player. Uh, actually, we didn't, what, what school did you go to, Chad? Uh, Illinois Wesleyan. Illinois Wesleyan. Okay. And so he played college soccer there. And then uh, once he was out of sports, he kind of, well, not out of sports, but transitioning to teaching. And then ultimately, he got into mental performance. He's a uh, currently he's the director of meditation uh, for the Wisconsin Athletic Department, uh, as well as he has his own company called Inner Edge Meditation. And he'll tell us all about that later. So uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, I always like to start the show. Um, talk about playing sports growing up and how that shaped your personality. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I loved sports growing up. I, you know, whether it was soccer or baseball, organized or just kind of like kids in the neighborhood, like I just always wanted to play sports. Felt like I had a never ending amount of energy to just continue to play. Uh, and then that continued when sports got a little more organized and formal in the, you know, middle school years and high school years. Uh, ended up the sport that I settled. Uh, kind of into and played the most in high school and college was soccer. Uh, but I have such fond memories. And some of my core group of friends are still from those days of growing up playing sports. Uh, and those so many lessons that I learned then, uh, you know, still impact me in a, in a day-to-day way, it's, you know, whether it's like personally or professionally. So lots yeah, sh- of fun. No, that, that mm-hmm. that's, that's great. And I mean, share, maybe share a couple, some of those lessons that, uh, that you you mentioned there. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that I think comes to mind is uh, the joy of playing sports, right? Like whether it's the, you know, the joy of, you know, trying to be as dialed in as I can, you know, like to hit a baseball or like the joy of the creativity on the soccer field or the joy of just hanging out with my friends, you know, on the bus or after a game sort of thing. But but that joy and I think that um you know, that joy sometimes can escape us as we age, as the world gives us some adversity, some challenge, right? As the, you know, sometimes we celebrate the grind. Um, I think there's maybe we shouldn't do that as much as we do, but, you know, it can grind some of that joy out of us. And so I think that lesson of just kind of coming back to the the fun, the opportunities, right? The connection, um, that's still there in the work that, you know, I do as an adult or my, you know, as a dad, as a husband, but kind of that, that joy orientation is definitely a thread that was easy as a kid. And I try to keep going, you know, in my adult pursuits as well. Yeah, that's great. Cause I think a lot of times we, I think, I think probably a lot of athletes kind of forget about the fun side of it because it just becomes so competitive. So that that's great to, uh, that's a great lesson is just, you know, have that fun in your life. So um, growing up, did you ever dream about being a professional athlete? Absolutely. Uh, I was convinced that I was going to be a wide receiver for the Chicago Bears. Uh, and uh, I didn't have the speed, size or skill to come anywhere close to any of that. Um, but, I, you know, I, th- these are the folks who I idolized. Right. I mean, I grew up in the Chicagoland area. 
uh, I was I was five years old when the Bears won their Super Bowl, so I can't say I remember it, but I remember the emotion of it. I remember singing the Super Bowl Shuffle, you know, with my friends, and uh, or and then in the '90s, you know, when I was a little more aware of what was going on, this is when Jordan was in his heyday, uh, and so seeing, you know, the greatest of all time, and I remember going to a game, and when they introduced Michael Jordan, you know, six six from North Carolina. You couldn't even hear him say Michael Jordan because the stadium was so loud. So uh, idolized these athletes and uh, loved sports and loved being around. My genetic did not predispose me to a professional athletic career, uh, but absolutely had that as a dream. Yeah, and I, it's funny because you, you you say the same thing I say. It's like I, I love baseball. I mean, I love all sports, but I love baseball. always wanted to be a major league baseball player. Talent wasn't there, so uh, I'm doing this today. <laughs> so um, Yeah, Totally. <laughs> so let, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, as we mentioned, you know, athletes transition out of sports is, is just a major issue. So mm. go back to when you were in college yourself and then being in the college world now. Talk about um, was there anything being done education wise to kind of help guide athletes into life after sports? Yeah, I mean, I think for, you know, when I was playing college soccer, there wasn't, you know, it was kind of every every person for themselves, you know, figure out like kind of what makes sense for you. Ultimately, for me, and, you know, my athletic career in college, I was playing Division Three college soccer. So it's a, you know, different game than, you know, Power Five athletes, uh, in many ways, including the demands, but also the sense of identity uh, that comes with it is similar yet different. Uh, but I was fortunate that I chose to stop playing. Not every athlete chooses to stop, right? Whether it's like the, the clock runs out on their eligibility or, you know, injury or whatever it may be. Uh, but I chose after a couple of years of college to stop because um, I had other interests that I wanted to continue to pursue. So I left. I went and lived in Spain for a year, you know, continued to play a lot of soccer in Spain, uh, but just not as part of my, you know, athletic identity uh, as a college athlete. But that that transition is massive, and and we'll get into more kind of what I'm doing professionally now with the work that I'm doing. But uh, uh, where it started, and in some ways, was with a group of retired NFL guys, um, and we taught it an eight week mindfulness based training to a group of seventeen retired NFL players. And it was in that group that I learned this phrase called the dreaded transition where athletes talk about that transition from the end of sport. Um, and for these guys, most, you know, they'd played, you know, pro ball uh, and, you know, only one of them chose to stop playing. Everyone else was either injured or not resigned and their careers were over. And so how to navigate that transition uh, was part of what we were doing in that initial pilot training. Yeah. And I, yeah, I would imagine too, like, I, I think from what I've seen too, in the different athletes I've talked in, uh, even myself, I think if you have the choice, it, it didn't end based on injury and knowing that you're not going to, you know, might not going to be going further. Like for me, I was a runner in college. I got hurt, but it, mm -hmm. I was never going to be an Olympian. So it wasn't that uh, big of a transition for me, but um, mm -hmm. I, I could definitely see that that plays into the mindset. But um, what are some of the things that, because uh, I, I know Wisconsin is uh, very innovative and progressive in the things, uh, do they have curriculum set up for, um, for athletes, not just the basic, like when you get an introduction, but do they have curriculum that kind of helps guide them into things they might do in the future? Yeah, there is. There's at Wisconsin in the athletic department, there's a, we call it forward 360 is the large group. And these are all the departments that support student athletes directly who aren't coaches. So this includes everybody from 
strength and conditioning, performance, nutrition, you know, mental health, meditation training is one of those departments, but there's a department that's we call career and leadership. And that's the department that's, you know, focuses both during their time at Wisconsin, kind of preparing themselves, but also explicitly that not only that transition, but those first couple of years and then an ongoing, we call it the W club, but it's kind of the alumni support group that continues to support athletes, you know, throughout their lifespan. You know, we like to stay once a Badger, always a Badger, uh, but putting those resources behind it uh, to be able to support athletes in these, you know, in these transitions. Right now that that's great. And I mean, I, it's in, I've had come, you know, talking to you offline and talking to some other people, Wisconsin, man, definitely see that, which is awesome. And I think, you know, more schools have to do that. We, we've talked about, um, you know, alumni direct and just some of the initiatives and people that I've worked with have talked about going into schools that might not, you know, uh, have as much there as far as curriculum. So mm-hmm. I had one guy on my show and he said, boy, I wish I really would have had like maybe a four week workshop or even a semester mm-hmm that I was kind of forced to take that talked about all the things in the education after, after sports. Um, and it's, I think it's something that's, it's definitely needed. It's huge. I mean, like everything from financial literacy, you know, to uh, kind of navigating a career, but even, even little things around, you know, these athletes, um, you know, they're training their bodies to perform a sport at an absolutely elite level. And for most of them, that's not the way they need to train their bodies once right. they get done with playing their sport. Uh, but if the only way they know how to work out is, you know, for their particular sport discipline, well, then we're doing a bit of a disservice. We need to be able to support them. And maybe they want to continue to train in that way. And that's great, you know, but give them other options on doing it or from a nutrition perspective or um, whatever it may be. That is one area where I think the meditation um, is pretty seamless in its transition um, in that. The way we think about meditation is training the mind for performance and well-being. And so that performance could be, you know, training for your sport. Um, It could be preparing for an exam uh, that could be performing in a competition, performing in your exam, uh, which very naturally transfers over to, you know, performing for a, you know, job interview or a big presentation or whatever that may be. And then managing the stress of your college athletic career is similar to managing the stress that's going to come post-college athletic career. So the meditation training definitely kind of uh, threads through different phases of life. And that's, that's great. I mean, and we'll definitely go over that more because I think that's something that, um, that could help. I mean, especially I would imagine too, you know, like from a mental health perspective, I mean, just a lot of these uh, athletes kind of struggle with their, they look at themselves as the sport and not as the person, mm-hmm. you know, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm Chad, the soccer player, Rob, the runner, you know, Billy, the football yeah. player, right? But just, you know, that's and then realizing all of a sudden it's over and they still see themselves that way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, so let's talk a little bit about uh, alumni connection. So th- this is something obviously, uh, you know, that, that we kind of hone in on. Um, we'll talk about we'll, we'll break into two phases. One, we're going to talk about your college experience and and alumni coming back and working with the athletes and not just coming back for golf tournaments or coming back just to watch a game, but more so kind of interacting with the athletes across all sports, let's say. Mm. So I want to hone in on your college experience and then, you know, what you see today at Wisconsin. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So starting kind of with my college experience uh, was athletics was part of my college experience. um, But I would say it wasn't the driving force of my college experience, but it was definitely part of it. And when I think about the ways of staying connected as a, alumni, the ways that I find most meaningful 
are kind of one-on-one interactions with current students or recent grads uh, and supporting them in whatever ways I can, whether it's, you know, being a sounding board, giving advice, uh, whatever that may be. And I think that's directly related to the one-on-one interactions that I had while I was a student that I had, whether it was a professor or an alumni or a coach, people who cared about me, who I can say without a doubt and without hyperbole changed the direction of my life with some of the advice that they gave me and the ways that they cared about me. So that sort of ongoing relationship, if I'm able to support somebody in that way, is something that I know I particularly enjoy and feel honored to be able to give back to my alma mater in that way. No, that, that's great. And then what, what, like, what kind of today, like at Wisconsin, do they, uh, is it, do they actively seek like these athletes, alumni athletes to come back or is it kind of a, two-way street where the alumni athletes want to come back and what kind of interaction do they have with the the current athletes? Yeah, I think this is one of the things that Wisconsin, um, and I'm not just trying to, you know, talk about how Wisconsin is just like magical place (laughs) and athletic department. Um, But it is. and, and, And I do think there's a lot of things that Wisconsin athletic does at a really high level. That's really innovative. Um, and, and not only innovative, but authentic, uh, and, and not just, you know, transactional, but meaningful. And I think uh, the alumni work is an example of that. So as I mentioned before, the what we call our kind of uh, or a unit that's, you know, responsible for alumni engagement is the W Club. And they do everything, right? Whether it's, you know, more like the traditional, you know, golf tournaments in the summer, it's, uh, you know, alumni weekends in the fall. Uh, but really what they do well, um, I think, is create a sense of community amongst former student athletes. Uh, Because there's a certain amount of um, only other student athletes are going to be able to understand what it was like to, you know, train and compete at this level. Uh, And then these people, of course, go on to do all sorts of other amazing things. And so it's, you know, wonderful people to be connected with, to be inspired by. Uh, And I also think that there's a certain trust that is established in a group like that that allows um, novel ideas to emerge. And so I think that's part of why Wisconsin, Wisconsin was the first athletic department in the country to have a dedicated diversity, equity, and inclusion staff member. Um, Wisconsin has, you know, leaders in embedding mental health providers on staff. And of course, with the work that I'm doing, first of its composition and, you know, sport with meditation training. So there's a history of, you know, doing novel things and definitely alumni are huge in that. In my particular story, it was a it was an alum from Wisconsin who I first collaborated with uh, to create the retired NFL player pilot, and he recruited a bunch of former NFL guys, most of whom were alumni from UW, who were part of that training, and they knew each other. Whether and there was a range, you know, some of them had been you know alums for two years, some of them were alums thirty five years ago they graduated, uh, but that connection of identifying as a Badger. Uh, allowed them to stay connected, develop trust, so that when this idea emerged, say, hey, you know, do you want to do this, you know, pilot, you know, with mindfulness and meditation training, there was an openness to explore something new because they had that trust with each other. Uh, no, that's great. I mean, the only Wisconsin Badger I, that comes to mind because I'm a Giants fan is Ron Dane. That was, that was yeah. <laughs> So, but uh, no, that, that's yeah, great. I, I think that, um, a, again, knowing in the conversation I had offline with you and some other folks related to Wisconsin, it's, it's they're definitely um, kind of a step above in what they're doing. I think it's a, it's a great model for other universities because I think it's a, 
it's become such an issue, you know, as we talk about and um, any kind of training or education that could be given to these athletes and not, not only the, um, not only the current athletes, but the alumni athletes as well. I think a lot of them struggle, obviously, once we talk about once they're done and, you know, do they have that support system coming back to mm-hmm. their school, like a, like a Wisconsin, which it, it sounds like they definitely do. Absolutely. I think it's one of the things that Wisconsin does well, including not only helping, you know, alumni navigate their present circumstances and transitions throughout their life, but alumni have so much to contribute to current student athletes uh, that uh, literally can say, I've been in your seat. I know what it feels like where very few people can can actually say that uh, and give them advice to, yes, perform at a high level athletically, achieve those goals and Let's do it in a way that's sustainable, that's going to support you to be a happy, healthy human. Uh, and I think alumni can do a lot to contribute to the kind of community that, you know, will yield those sorts of results. Yeah, no, I I, I totally agree. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about, I guess, kind of piggybacking off uh, off the alumni uh, engagement. Talk about networking, connecting and uh, give me your thoughts mm-hmm. on, you know, as athletes, you know, when they're still in school networking, connecting, or whether still playing professionally. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, you know, sometimes I feel like sometimes people can get a little uh, tight around networking, right? Feel not great about it, right? It can feel um, almost too transactional and superficial, you know? And of course, there's there may be times that that's what it feels like. But I think there's another, you know, kind of more authentic thread that is, um, it's networking is a way to create relationships with people who, with whom you have shared interests and shared passions. And that shared passion may be initially, well, we both played sports, you know, at this same university, right? So we, you know, tell stories about game day or campus or whatever, right? That's how it starts. And then a more, um, you know, textured relationship starts to emerge and it's, oh, we're both interested in you know, IT, or we're both interested in graphic design, or we're both interested in, and then more relationships start to emerge. And then somebody says, hey, you know who I think you should talk to is so-and-so. Uh, but it starts from this this natural, like, sh- shared interest, shared commonality. We're not trying to get something out of it necessarily, right? It's just spending time with people with whom you have a shared interest. Right. And, and I think that, you know, sometimes what the challenge becomes is people that Maybe they're afraid to do it or, or they kind of zoned in. I, I know I was talking to, uh, as you like bring this up in each podcast, but talking to a, a, an agent, he just said that the best time for these athletes to network and connect is when they're still playing because they yeah. have that, you know, the the, the recognition, sure. the, not the limelight necessarily, but just the, the people around them. Because what, what happens is a lot of these athletes, they get done and then all of a sudden they're like, okay, let's bring it on. And they just, unfortunately, they didn't build that. Mm. So that's something that uh, certainly we encourage is to, you know, do that while you're playing, do that, you know, and not just athletes, just in general. Yeah. I mean, I think the best uh, piece of networking advice I ever got was uh, the the line of, if you reach out to somebody and say, hey, what I think you're doing is really cool. Would you be willing to talk to me about it? Most people are more than happy to take that call, right? Even if it's 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever you can get, you know, and, um, and if it's, authentic right if you're legitimately you know an athlete or student athlete or whatever phase of life i mean i still do it today right like if i think what somebody's doing is really cool i'll hit them up right or if there's a personal relationship that i may have to say hey could you introduce me to so-and-so because i'd love to just talk to them i think that what they're doing is cool uh then from there who knows what happens what sort of opportunities may emerge 
Yeah, no, that that that's great advice there. So uh, let's talk about um, NIL, name, image, likeness, and you know that's mm-hmm. a it's a hot topic today. It's you get a, all mm-hmm. kinds of varying uh, conversation, the wild wild west, and different things like that. But <laughs> um, give me your thoughts, uh, both positive and negative. Yeah, I think NIL is a it is. Um, I mean, it is the wild west right now of NIL and college athletics in that, you know, departments are trying to figure out how to navigate a space that doesn't have a whole lot of parameters right now. Uh, And I think, again, not trying to just, you know, blow up Wisconsin for how Wisconsin's (laughs) handling it, but um, it's what I know most well. I think Wisconsin's done a really good job of being able to find ways to support student athletes to leverage their NIL opportunities. And so a lot of that is providing education. Uh, You know, what are the ways that you can maximize your NIL opportunities? And some of it's very in the weeds of, you know, um, taxes, right? You know, working with an attorney, uh, all the sorts of things that um, are necessary when, you know, these sorts of opportunities emerge, uh, but can be tricky, especially for any 18 to 22 year old. So I think uh, Wisconsin's done a great job providing those resources and supporting those student athletes. This is the future of college athletics. Uh, and so for folks who are, you know, want to stick with the, you know, back in my day and the good old days sort of thing, like, it's just, you know, it was what it was. That's not what it is now. It's definitely not what it's going to be in the future. So the question becomes, in my mind, how do all of us navigate these new phases uh, in ways that are going to be beneficial for folks that are involved? Yeah, no, for for sure. And I mean, you hit on some good points there, Matt. I mean, the bottom line, the number one thing is education, because if you think about it, like mm-hmm. you said, just, you know, knowing that you have to pay taxes and some of these other things. And, and that's across. I always say it's across not only sports. I mean, it's youth in general, just, you know, educating them so they know that and, and to, mm-hmm. you know, moving forward. But um, it, it's it's definitely an interesting topic. And, and I think it is, you know, I'll, I'm sure there'll be more and more education around it um, as, mm-hmm. as it keeps going along. So let's talk about um, your transition out of sports. And it sounded like we talked earlier, it, it didn't seem like it was too difficult, but I guess, um, you know, give, give us, uh, you know, some of your um, advice to athletes transitioning out of sports, whether it be college or professionally, and maybe even tying into the things that you're doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, I have the good fortune of, you know, working with, elite college athletes and many of whom who have transitioned, whether they've transitioned, you know, some of them transitioned into professional careers, most of them not into professional sport, right? They transitioned to some other profession. Um, And what seems to be helpful for so many of these athletes is um, formally taking time to reflect and plan what are some of the ways that they have learned to train and live and identify as an athlete that can be beneficial for them in this next phase. Um, For example, the athletes that I get to train with uh, are unbelievably good at training for fractional advantages. They know it's not major gains are not going to happen at this point in their athletic career, right? Like it's a little bit stronger, a little bit more flexible, a little quicker on reading the defense, whatever that may be. And that orientation to fractional advantages is unbelievably powerful, not only for a happy life uh, to get fractionally, you know, happier, but also in a professional career. And then every once in a while, a big break may come, uh, but it's those cumulative fractional advantages that can can add up. 
And then taking a look at the things that for them that served them while they were an athlete, that was adaptive when they were an athlete, but maybe if they keep it up is going to be maladaptive for them. Right. So uh, we talked earlier even about like the physical training programs, right. Uh, You know, for to use football as an example, you know, being able to squat unbelievably heavy weight, clean, heavy weight, bench, heavy weights, really important to be a good football player. Uh, and maybe some people want to continue to do that, but probably way less important, you know, if you're working at, you know, a corporate job that you can squat 600 pounds. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's let's get a little flexibility in there. Right? You, know, you still squat and there's still benefits to that or, you know, other aspects. So taking that opportunity to reflect and continue with the adaptive parts of it. Uh, but maybe let go or reframe some of the parts that were helpful during a student athlete career, but could be let go of in the next phase. Yeah. I mean, there's just, uh, I guess the skill sets, you know, I was talking to one, one guy about um, uh, he played college football and then he went on to corporate America and ultimately CEO for several large companies. But he, he kind of talked and said, listen, the athletes, you, you have such a skill set between your, you know, your leadership skills, your, you know, your persistence, your, you know, your team building, everything that a lot of companies want that, or, I mean, depending on what you want to do, whether it's, you know, going to corporate, going to entrepreneurship or going to different areas, but um, it's a, it's an important skill set. So um, let's fast forward to today. So, you know, you went through, you transitioned out of sports, went into teaching all that. And uh, this, this uh, mental health and mental performance is so critical to when you're playing but not only that, but also to taking on to your next aspects of life, like we talked about offline, about it's not only the sport, but the business. So tell us what um, what you're doing um, on the college side of it, and then we'll get into your business after that. Yeah. So the way I think about the work that we're doing, we talked about this a little bit, but you know, meditation training is simply training the mind. That's all that it is. And when we train the mind, the mind is going to show up with us across all domains of our life. So maybe the motivation to train the mind initially is sport, right? So it's maybe some of the benefits start to show up in training or in competition. Uh, But if we're training for things like focus and resilience, well, all of a sudden that focus and resilience starts to show up in class, right? It starts to show up in our relationships. Uh, So we're benefiting across these domains. And then those skills can then be with us as we transition out of sport, you know, and kind of continue with those things. So I think that, orientation is is really powerful for athletes to be able to perceive uh, and and benefit from, uh, but isn't always the easiest thing um, for them to see initially. Uh, but then they start to see it and then they benefit from those practices moving forward. What kind of what kind of perspective do the athletes have? I mean, do they, uh, are they I mean, because you have a successful program and I guess a lot of athletes are having success, so there's a lot to talk about there. But I mean, do you get any kind of resistance at all uh, from mm. some of these athletes starting out? Yeah, it's really interesting. So, um, of course, there is some resistance to some to, from some of the athletes, but we've been able to avoid that in in large part. And I think there's a couple of reasons why. So one, uh, we've done this in a very kind of slow incremental build that's um, allowed momentum to be developed over time. So uh, for example, the first time I was with the Wisconsin football program, the person who introduced me to the team was the head strength coach who I had been training with for the past eight weeks. So he knew me. He knew the work well. He had benefited from it tremendously. He's respected in the program as the head strength coach. He had played uh, professional football for eight years. So when he spoke, people listened. So when he said, hey, this stuff is valuable, 
you know, what Chad is doing is valuable. It can help you in these ways. Then people, you know, in the room listen differently. Uh, so I'm always searching for those internal champions in a program. And that can be a strength coach, a head coach, uh, an assistant coach, uh, but somebody who's respected in the program, uh, who also has enough institutional power to actually make something happen, right? To actually give time to be able to do this training. And then the other thing, Rob, is that when we start to do this training, what I've noticed is oftentimes the highest performers on the team are the ones who take to this training first. Uh, and so when that happens, uh, and then they're talking about it and they're experiencing the benefits, then they're going to drive, you know, cultural interest in the training in a way, uh, that's, you know, natural and organic inside of that team. Yeah. I mean, so I, obviously, like you said, as an influencer, just that person having that credibility now they're, they're going to pay attention to that, uh, even mm -hmm. so. And I guess, um, does that, uh, does that parlay in? like with, with your business um, that you do aside from the um, working with Wisconsin, does that parlay into that? Like do people see that success that you're having in Wisconsin and, and want to emulate it themselves? Yeah, I definitely think there's a certain amount of, you know, people see what's happening in Wisconsin and, and there's a certain, um, you know, when people think particularly about mindfulness or about meditation, there can be a lot of misconceptions about it, right? It can feel for some, it can feel, you know, soft or woo woo, right? You know, and, uh, and, and then it's, well, oh, you know, elite athletes, you know, division one power five athletes are doing this kind of opens them up to say, like, maybe there's a, they're there. Um, and then I think the opposite is true as well in that, like, some of the outside work influences what we're able to do at Wisconsin. I uh, mentioned I get to train with FBI SWAT teams and tier one tactical teams and, uh, you know, these are unbelievably high performing groups, physically and cognitively. Um, and so what I, you know, learn in these environments uh, across high performers, you know, is is useful for them to be able to learn from each other. And I feel very fortunate that I get to spend time in a variety of high performance contexts, uh, whether it's sport, business, tactical, and kind of share the insights of those high performance individuals and teams, you know, with others that, you know, are more focused on their particular domain. Okay. What, what, um, you know, from a, from a mental health perspective and you're, you're hearing all these, you know, a lot of sad stories, unfortunately with athletes yeah. and some of the struggles and uh, ultimately, you know, going down and going down a, a bad road, let's say uh, mentally, are there, are there ways that um, either a, it could be, I don't want to say prevented, but like helped yeah. on the front end with meditation. And then mm -hmm. the second part of that question would be, are there ways that, if they're in that certain uh, spiral, so to speak, that meditation might help them get out of it. Yeah, this is a really important uh, aspect of, of the conversation and of the work. So a couple of things. Uh, one, I'm not a licensed mental health provider. That's not my job. That's not what I do. So um, historically, whether it's when I was a school-based person or the work that I'm doing now in Wisconsin, I work really closely with the licensed mental health providers in those spaces. So the mental health and sports psychology team here in Wisconsin is a group that I spend a lot of time with. And we need to have very clear kind of scope of practice to know, you know, who's, who's, whose work is this and when do we need a referral to make sure that, you know, a student athlete is able to receive the care that they need. Because the fact of the matter is all of us at a certain point are going to need you know, more clinical mental health support, or at least we should get it at certain points, whether or not we choose to do it or not. Uh, so we want to make sure that folks have access to those supports. Um, and I think one of the things that's really um, exciting about meditation training is 
we are doing it in a more kind of, we think about it as like a prehab sort of way, right? Like this is preventative. This is, we think about it as strength and conditioning for the mind. So we're not sitting around waiting for a problem to emerge. We're training the mind for certain qualities that we know both from, you know, athlete level experience, but also from research can be really supportive for performance and well-being. And we see things in all sorts of research that with athletes um, or, you know, with non-athletic populations, we see changes in things like clinical levels of anxiety and depression uh, with doing these sorts of practices, right? Does that mean uh, folks should just meditate, you know, and that was, of course not, right? Like that's not going to solve all the problems, right? But can it be a complementary part of uh, what's happening when someone's thinking about training their mind for performance and well-being? I think it absolutely can be. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, the bottom line is it's a, it's a tool uh, that people can utilize. And to your point, it's something that's, you know, in coordination, uh, you know, with, with other mm. types of support, uh, which yeah, important. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit, you talked about uh, some of the things, you know, you know, the tactical training, all that. talk about um, your business and how people can find you. Sure. So the name of our business is inner edge meditation. Uh, and we call it that because we all have an inner life, but not all of us have the skills to work with it. And when we develop the skills to work with it, we give ourselves an inner edge. Uh, so that's what we're doing in these environments is bringing the science of rigorous meditation training and what we know about using it in high performance environments uh, to life in people's lives. So that looks a bunch of different ways uh, that can look, you know, like some of the work with the FBI teams um, that can be C-suite executive coaching, kind of keynotes, um, other sorts of training, but uh, finding ways to be creative about bringing these sorts of trainings into other environments. So if folks want to learn more about that can check out inneredgemeditation.com or, you know, connect with me on social, try to share, you know, good information on all the social platforms as well. No, that, that's great. Well, and we'll put this in the show notes as well. And, uh, you know, to find us, you can go to alumnidirect.com and you can follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook and um, Instagram, YouTube. And I, I encourage people to watch and follow the show. We're, we're on YouTube as well as all the podcast networks. But I think this is something that we really want to make an impact. And there's been a lot of great guests like you, Chad, that are just sharing their stories and it's very inspirational. And, and I think um, we, we can certainly have a positive impact. And uh, so again, I encourage everybody to look at that. So we really appreciate the time today, Chad. It's been great talking to you. Yeah. And Joy Robbie has been a ton of fun and thanks for, for doing what you do and kind of helping to share lots of folk stories that hopefully bring lots of inspiration to many people. So thank you. You're welcome.